Welcome to the Forge Leadership Podcast. In this series, Simon Barrington and Johnny Abbott are joined each week by emerging leaders from the millennial generation. Today, our guest is Miriam Swaffield. Miriam is the global student mission leader for the Fusion Movement, helping local churches reach university students anywhere in the world. Well, hello. Welcome to the Millennial Leadership Podcast. My name is Johnny Abbott. I'm here with Simon Barrington. Hi, Johnny. Hi, Simon. <laughs> uh, we're here uh, with Miriam Swaffield. Hey, Miriam, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Hey, not a problem at all. We're really excited about speaking to you today. Um, Miriam is the Global Student Mission Leader for Fusion. Miriam, kick us off. Talk to us about Fusion. Oh, I love it. Fusion exists to help local churches reach students and help students basically share Jesus with their mates. And anywhere in the world where there's a campus and there's the church, we want to see the two connect. So that's our whole deal, helping the local church do student mission. Hey, that's awesome. And so how does that work? What, what does that look like? Well, the big front door is student link up. So, you you know, your current 18 year olds thinking about university, we want to make sure that they're prepared for uni culture. If they're Christians, prepare them in discipleship to be missionaries on campus and then connect them to new local churches when they leave home. So that's student link up. But we also actually invite anyone to try church for the first time when they show up to uni. So try church is a kind of an idea that helps the local church invite the generation coming onto their doorsteps to consider Jesus, maybe for the first time. And then, uh, at uni, we're all about training the local church to reach students. So, you know, really passionate about like little missional small groups that multiply out, really passionate about deep discipleship and accountability and um, and really finding ways that evangelism can be natural and authentic and powerful with your housemates. So we do everything we can to equip students to share Jesus, but also to do that in the context of the body of Christ. So, um, yeah, and then hopefully the, pre- the prayer is really that you are prepped for graduation and then you carry on following Jesus into your spheres of influence, having really mm. learned how to do that at uni and still connected to the local church as you go on into uh, your various careers and uh, yeah, contexts outside of uni. So we love it. Young adults and uh, that key life stage, we really want to see uh, people flourish and also find Jesus. Brilliant. And what actually works for students in terms of reaching out to their friends these days? You know, there is a big emphasis on um, authenticity and being real with your mates. So not having some sort of agendered approach to crowbarring in the gospel or Mm. somehow having to trick them into an event where there's something tagged Mm. on the end. These guys are much more interested in their real God, in their real life, being real about their struggles and their victories and inviting Mm. their friends uh into that too so um we're really passionate about relational evangelism and uh, the overflow of that being yes you sometimes invite them into um to pray or into maybe a sunday service or to experience more of god outside of that friendship but um yes yeah, students just learning to be real and be themselves on the rugby team and the nightclubs and the lecture halls mm-hmm. but unapologetically um shaped by jesus Uh, That's quite a remarkable thing, very distinctive and really quite attractive to people when they see somebody actually do what they say they're going to do and believe and live what they say that they have faith in. It's quite remarkable. Miriam, that sounds amazing. That sounds so, so exciting. What is your role within that? So I've been, um, this is my eighth year working for Fusion. I graduated, raised my own salary to work for Fusion and been doing it ever since. Um, One of those things which you think you'll do for about a year and then Within about three months, you realise, oh my goodness, I for the rest of my life am probably going to care about (laughs) the next generation. So I've basically given it my 20s. So uh, hopefully that paid off. But um, 
I uh, yeah, so I was doing much more in the UK helping uh, equip the church for mission, but the team has grown a lot. So now we have regional teams that are able to serve many, many more churches and students. And so my job's really helping to see um, kind of context across Europe and beyond begin to wake up to this idea of the local church uh, discipling the next generation. And uh, so I I do a lot more in Europe now. kind of it's like it's kind of like being an evangelist again like going back out and for the first time introducing people to this idea that um their local churches have a part to play in the 19 year old stories on their doorstep and let's do something about it together so yeah uh, lots more travel and lots more initiating contact for the first time which is exciting wow wow hey tell you what that sounds uh, like a huge deal and sounds like it needs a um an enormous amount of leadership which is what this podcast is all about um miriam when was it that you first really could identify yourself as a leader i didn't really grow up with that language um and i didn't uh, in my teenage years i was in a church context a phenomenal church that i still considered to be my little home church but they didn't have mm-hmm. any women leading so i had no idea that um, leading within a church context would be part of my story. Um, so uh, leadership qualities, I've always kind of expressed whether that's captain of the hockey team or head girl kind of stuff, but just had no idea that Jesus would somehow speak that over me too. So it was only at university, actually, being in a brand new church when I wasn't so-and-so's daughter, that some of the church leaders of the place that I settled in just went, oh my goodness, do you know that you're a leader? And do you know you're called to speak? And I I'd sort of had a, quite a few words and prophecies particularly about communicating Jesus but I had never known what to do with them because there was just no context in which that was applied so I just sort of shelved them and carried on Um, and so it was at university really that people started to call out what they saw me doing already and just I basically had to be mentored in self-awareness because they were like do you know that people are following you and do you know you're setting culture and I was like I really don't know what you're talking about so uni was a lot of waking up to the call of God and embracing more of how he'd made me. Yeah, that all happened at university. So it's a pretty transformative time for me around stepping into leadership overtly. Brilliant. So who were some of those people and what did some of those conversations look like? So, um, that's, I mean, na- now they're in their late 30s, but at the time I thought they were very old, but they probably only were about 25, <laughs> I suppose. Uh, <laughs> well, these older leaders who hadn't yet hit 30, sure. Um, what, so one, one of the uh, church leaders, Luke, uh, who I now work with at Fusion, he's like, like a big brother, really. His wife, Hannah, I felt this, I felt this conviction of, oh, I need a mentor. I just discovered what mentoring was at uni as well and thought I'd like one of those. So I asked Hannah, could she mentor me? And she spent three days de- like deliberating on the decision because she was quite scared to mentor me because she thought I was a bit full on, but she didn't know who else to give me to. So um, she met up with me for a coffee and she said, look, Miriam, I don't know you at all. So what I've done is I've prayed and I've listened to God and I've tried to say what I see in terms of from my first impression of you and we'll start there. So the first thing she said was, obviously, you know that you're a leader. And so immediately I said, I actually, no one's ever said that. And she was like, oh, perfect. Well, that's where we'll start with mentoring then. I will mentor you in becoming aware that you are already leading. And let's work out what that means for you in church, in your friendship group and in culture. So um, Hannah, basically, it was one-on-ones coaching me through being aware of what a leader means in terms of following Jesus and serving, what it means to use the the influence that you're naturally kind of carrying and um, how might it look to raise others around you as you go. So that mentoring was very relational and it was a woman about, I guess, hands about six years older than me. So that was what it looked like. So we've talked about mentoring on this podcast uh, a fair bit before. In fact, last time we were, uh, we were speaking about mentoring pretty specifically, 
from what it sounds like, you grew up very much in a church context, and that's how you were able to explore some of those leadership gifts and develop that. What would be the difference for you uh, between mentoring in a general sense and specifically uh, mentoring in a Christian context? What would be some of the advantages and, and, and the key differences that you might be able to see? Well, I think um, my understanding of mentoring, I've, I've learned over the years that lots of, that you need more than one because nobody is Jesus. And so you have different people that carry different <laughs> things that you respect, want to replicate in your own life. Um, and so actually some of the mentoring is not very distinct from mentoring you get outside of the Christian context. You know, if you're being mentored in how to budget, that is, which I think is a very important thing for young adults to get some help in, um, yeah. that doesn't necessarily have to be a distinctive Christian. Whereas the first ever mentor I had, I asked her to, to help me hear the voice of God better and to understand how different ways to listen to the Holy Spirit. So that was much more distinctive. But um as always, the most powerful way that um, somebody could mentor me is literally let me into their real life. I don't need to be sat down with lots of to-do lists or let's read a book together. Much rather put me at your kitchen table or give me a front row seat to your parenting or um, your marriage or let's go on the road together. That's my favorite thing to do is just go on the road with people and then you see their whole life and um, it all just rubs off. Everything teaches, doesn't it? So um and with christianity with following this god who was interested in every part of who we are and a fullness and wholeness about people actually getting the behind the scenes not just professional strategy you know i also want to know the vulnerability of people i want to see um what really keeps them up at night and um makes them worry and what turns what is their greatest prayer and um what makes them laugh and all those kind of things that make a real human i think um the Christian distinctive would be that we try and actually be vulnerable with our whole lives to Jesus and they're able to imitate him in our whole lives, not just in a task. Hey, that's amazing. That's so good. And so uh, thinking of fusion, you mentioned already about how you went into it and uh, felt like it was going to be a three month thing or a year thing. And after three months, you realized it was going to be more of a life thing. And <laughs> yeah, um, like definitely uh, hear a commitment to seeing that happen. Um, in the future what are you excited about at the moment with fusion what's what's going to happen in the future that, that you're looking forward to i i honestly think we might see something happen in our lifetime in terms of the tide turn on europe and the next generation because internationally people genuinely genuinely say what's it like to live in a spiritually dead continent i've had that question on more than one occasion <laughs> where they've gone like, what's it like to live in like the, the hardest ground and the most spiritually dead place? And I'm thinking, well, firstly, I'm alive. Secondly, I know a lot of people that are also alive. But um, it makes me think God's going to have to do something. And when you get, when you get onto the continent and realise um, just how, um, how many churches are no longer awake or there anymore, it, it makes me have greater faith for a move of God because we're going to need one. Um, and so I'm really excited over the next 20 years seeing uh, these 18-year-olds coming through now. What does it look like? They've never experienced church. What does it look like for them for the first time to be invited into community, for the first time to hear that Jesus is a God and alive and present and meetable? And those sort of things. I've got a huge amount of faith that the local church isn't going to die but is actually going to be resurrected in Europe and that the young generation are going to be leading early and well as they encounter him and realize, 
hold on, another way is possible. We will take responsibility for our nation. We're going to see our younger siblings have a different story because we're going to break through. So I've got a lot of faith for what's happening on the continent, to be honest. Have you ever felt guilty about leaving the office at five to go and work on your side project? Or found the pace of your team strangely slow? The good news is you're not alone. Leading the Millennial Way, a new book co-authored by Forge's own Simon Barrington and Rachel Lutchford. It draws upon original research to identify the current landscape you're leading in, the shared marks of millennial leaders and the impact you have on your sphere of influence. Leading the Millennial Way is being published by SPCK on the 18th of April and you can pre-order the book on Amazon today. Brilliant. Now, uh, Miriam, you, you know, we, we did this uh, research and went out and, and asked 500 millennials who were already leading um, about their identity and the culture that they were trying to create, etc. As you're raising up leaders through fusion in universities, you know, at that age of 18 to 21, 22, 23 is so foundational in, in, in how they will lead going forward. Yes. How would you describe the kind of leaders that you would want to see growing up through the fusion moment, movement and local churches? What, what's different about them? What's, mm. what's exciting and energizing <laughs> about them? And how are you trying to shape them to be effective Christian witnesses in the whole of society? Yeah, so I, ever since I first started for Fusion and I got exposed to meeting just hundreds of young adults, I started this little list on my phone that I called Mm -hmm. the ones to watch. And so what I'm particularly looking for, like uh, I I want to pour investment into anyone you meet, you know, because everyone has obviously potential as a disciple of Jesus and is being invited um, to become more like him. In terms of people that I'm thinking um, we would want to employ them, like run with them because they're, they're yeah. catalysts. They need to be like catalysts for change, not just yeah. their temperature setters. So the ones to watch are the ones that I would spot in a room. They're not necessarily the loudest in the room or anything like that, but the ones that are setting the culture um, and have kind of got down some of the normal discipleship struggles early and they're really mm-hmm. learning to run in freedom and actually run for their friends' freedom, not just... Mm-hmm not just the normal trappings of being a student of, um, I drank too much again last night. Uh, I, I probably overstepped the mark here, here and here. Uh, I'm, you know, I've not really got, got it together around what, what I really think, whether God's real or not. I'm looking for the ones that are like, um, I love Jesus. I actually think he loves my mates. And I think I might be a student on purpose for a purpose. How do we see something happen? So the ones to watch for me are temperature setters and they've got an integrity about them where they actually are trying trying to actually live what they believe uh, yeah. uh, even if uh, nobody else does around them. So uh, they usually feel like they're a bit on their own, the ones that are a bit yeah. exceptional. And so I yeah. partly feel like my responsibility is to introduce them to like-minded siblings from around the country and say, you're right. not on your yeah. own. Yeah. You can actually yeah. run like that. So yeah. it's all highly relational, but I'm looking for integrity. I'm looking for passion. And I'm looking for a level of conviction that says Jesus, Jesus is actually worth it. And so I haven't just tripped up on all the normal things that trips up the culture. I've actually jumped some of them and I'm really trying to see my friends meet him too. And what kind of culture are those catalysts creating around them? And how does it look different from maybe even the culture you were trying to create uh, 10 years ago, let alone the culture I was trying to create 30 years ago? Yeah, right. I um. I think 
I think what I'm noticing, I feel like the current 18-year-olds are phenomenal. Like, the ones that are showing up following Jesus at uni are far more um, convinced of a theology of priority being local church and getting stuck into community. They're far more ready to serve, not thinking they're consumers, which is a huge relief because we're really banging the drum for church being a family, not something that you um, eat and then leave and don't talk to for a week. Um, And that there's a far more conviction around if I follow Jesus, I actually mean it. It's probably cost me something at secondary school. So they're pretty open, Mm. but willing to share their faith. I I feel like they're less afraid, the ones that are coming through because they've Mm. realized, well, the chance after you are following Jesus at the age of 19, it's cost you something. Um, And so, and I love this whole deliberate, there's a real culture around, um, I'm not just going to stay in a Christian bubble. So they're choosing to live with housemates that might feel more inconvenient because they clash with a kingdom culture because they are naturally more going out vibes than they would be, or they are highly addicted to gaming where the Christians are trying to get out of, you know, being too um, online and trying to connect with people face to face or something. But I'm seeing Christians make decisions around living in community of people that don't yet know Jesus, recognizing they can bring a distinctive and recognizing it is healthier for their discipleship to not be in a bubble um mm. so that that's beautiful and again just just thinking about that integrity of how they even use the online space and working out how to there's some beautiful creative ways of communicating jesus without any of it feeling ramming down or people's throats or preaching but i'm seeing some beautiful kind of creative ways of sharing truth that some of the younger ones are doing online very naturally in a way that my generation um we were just learning that, whereas Gen Z, I think, are like, uh, they're able to just communicate on each platform. And when they've got one whole joined up life, that makes a huge difference. So, yeah, I'm, I'm blown away by the 18-year-olds, really. I think they should probably mentor me. <laughs> yeah, and that's really interesting, isn't it? Is it, it, it the next question I was asked you, actually, is that how are they challenging your leadership and your leadership approach? So, So for me, I've been really challenged by the millennial generation to be more authentic, to be more vulnerable, to allow people into greater proximity, uh, to come up close, to open up, to, uh, you know, expose my weaknesses. And that's Mm. been a journey Mm. for me into my 40s. Um, What are the things you're seeing coming through from the students that are challenging your leadership and the way that you lead and the approach that you have? I think I'm more aware than ever of giving away opportunity and um, giving voice, like giving them a voice quicker, even though it's unrefined, having a lot of grace for them working out on the job. Mm -hmm. Stuff that I learned, but that I'm like, these guys are picking it up quicker. They are communicating more. They... um, they're even more aware of being able to make things happen and almost feel like they can overnight because of the online space being able to light up like a Christmas tree in a couple of minutes. Yeah. And yeah. so I think um, helping them find their distinctive voice and realizing yeah. that, um, yeah, just again, increased opportunity, but also I'm trying to be ruthlessly vulnerable around um, personal life and struggle and not make any assumptions that in the midst of them really thriving in opportunities and experience and leading and speaking, Mm -hmm. they are also still wrestling with core identity stuff for much longer. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I I think, I think they're probably more capable uh, than my generation. Even I think they're just getting more and more savvy around getting up and going and doing something. So 
um, yeah. giving away opportunity and responsibility sooner. I think that's a yeah, good challenge for me. We saw this massive tension in the research actually between um, the huge opportunity that uh, they see and the huge wealth of resources and knowledges, knowledge that they have, including technology, um, but also this uh, this wrestling with the inattention as well of am yes. I good enough and uh, right. am I going to be able to do that? How, how, how do you help them through managing that tension you know what would your advice be in in managing that tension so i i I work hard and i'm i'm sure i don't do a good enough job at it but i'm learning to deconstruct myself in front of them so that they don't think i've got it all together the trouble is when you're articulate and you're confident and you've been invested in very well is that you Mm. can you almost want to shortcut your process in order to get onto them but part yes. of the way that you'll actually open up the richness of what's going on for them is by letting them into your secret space of process and wrestle yeah. of fear yeah. and doubt and, um, and embracing that not as a, a judgment call that you should be better, but embracing of the very gold of what God is doing in you is found in refining mm-hmm. fire. So mm-hmm. I try and be, I try and really deconstruct me being too well presented to those that I manage or am mentoring. And, um, well, you know, when appropriate, cause it depends on context, but, um, I really do try and let them into my real life. And like the, a lot of the ones, uh, the, the, the women that I mentor, I try and have them all to come and stay and see my real life and stay in my house and meet my neighbors in Middlesbrough and eat with my bizarre, brilliant street. And you know <laughs> what I mean? And like, even when I take yeah. people on the road, when I can take women on the road and I can take them overnight, then actually they get to see me before, during and after the public mm. bit. And that's really yeah. important because it allows them to then work out actually, how do I rest? Or after I've given out a lot, where, where does my head go? Because Miriam isn't afraid to talk through, this is how I handle mm. feedback. This is how I handle yeah. a late night. You know what I mean? So yeah. I yeah. think that helps it, that that kind of honesty and openness and sharing your whole life. Hey, um, it's so, so good to be here in all of this, Miriam. Um, learning so much personally and sure everyone listening along at home or in the car, wherever it is, will be learning too. But uh, we've got two more questions that we want to ask you that we ask every person who comes onto the podcast. Uh, the first one of those is this, what's the biggest tension that you live with uh, in your leadership? You know, um, and, and it's a good question because we, if we're not living in tension, I'd ring an alarm bell because I think the, by the very nature of being from another place, like being from the kingdom of God, our whole life is one big old tension, isn't it? So yeah. the, uh, a big tension that I often wrestle with is um, around discernment of what is really good and what is really God and whether that be in what I say yes and no to, in where mm. I put my time and my energy um, from personal life decisions, you know, whether that's romance or friendship or where I live, all the way through to what to say yes and no to in terms of serving other movements and speaking and also um, serving what the fusion movement that's, you know, growing and kicking off. I live with this tension of keeping having to shake off other people's expectations, stand before God and say, you expect nothing of me, but you have blessed me in order to dot, dot, dot. So... Mm. What shall we do together and how do I be free every time I have to say a no? Because I, I'm so relational, I take it very personally. If I say no to yeah. somebody, I yeah. feel it, even if for them it was just an idea for a conference speaker. So I constantly live <laughs> with the tension of 
being okay with letting people down because I'm actually not letting Jesus down. That. Mm. I think that's a great line. What's all good and what's all God? Um, quickly, how would you um, how would you try and discern between those things? You know what? I once asked Jackie Pullinger, the famous excellent missionary that is, how do you know what to say yes mm. and no to? She looked me in the eye and went, oh, Miriam, I've got absolutely no idea. <laughs> and I, that was so releasing. <laughs> Because I try and discern in the spirit. I try and navigate on peace, not logic. And I go where the life is, where there is real relationship. And I'm asking questions of how am I not a one hit wonder, but where is this sustainable movement? So I, I've got some check questions in place. But sometimes you just go go on a wing and a prayer and you will be amazed at what God does anyway. That's great. And final question, uh, Miriam, what's your greatest excitement and your greatest fear when it comes to leading? Uh, my greatest excitement is that I get a front row seat to what God is doing. And it feels like an utter privilege that I get to meet mm. so many of his family members around the world and cheer mm. them on in what Holy Spirit's mm. doing in them. So my greatest mm. excitement is meeting more of the family and seeing him do something with us together. Mm. And my greatest fear is that I would talk about Jesus more than I talk to Jesus. And that mm. I would, mm. I would one day... I mean, I, I wake up every morning and give my life to Jesus because I don't want in 20 years time to miss him. I want to be, um, I want to not think nostalgically on him. I want to be right with him. So, uh, but I, I, you know, I, I'm just really aware of never succumbing to um, being very good at talking about him rather than me and him just hanging out. And what practically do you do to try and prevent that? Because that's a common struggle for anybody who's you know has a platform yeah. um and, and is in leadership but what are the kind of practical rhythms and yeah and and uh, things you put in place to address that i say no to things that would be absolutely brilliant to do and feel very costly mm. and i say no anyway mm. just to make mm. sure that i never get my identity from opportunity in that way i okay. hang out with people that don't care what i do um yeah. probably don't know jesus yeah, uh, i love hanging out with people that don't know jesus because it reminds me how good news he is and um keeps me yeah. utterly grounded and i uh, apart from like my rhythms of reading scripture every day and talking to him and um all of those kind of normal rhythms and disciplines i am um, and my i take a retreat day a month because uh, fusion that's part of our work culture which is beautiful but um also if you ever think you're too big too funny or too clever just serve in your local church and that will pretty much convict you to the ground so um i just get stuck in with a coffee rotor and serve backstage and it is phenomenal for myself for leaders who are um just starting out miriam Mm. um you know early 20s your single biggest bit of advice for them what would it be uh, don't get too hung up trying to work out what your calling or your vision is. Get around somebody who you respect and how they follow Jesus and serve theirs. Right, serve someone so else's vision. Thinking. You'll be absolutely fine. Go for it. Absolutely go for it. <laughs> serve somebody else. <laughs> Brilliant. Miriam Swaffield, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. And thank you for sharing your heart uh, with us. Love what you're doing at Fusion to serve the local church amongst students and raise up a new generation of leaders who can go and change the world. Come on. Uh, how can people pray for you? Thank you. Yeah. Please pray for the students. Please pray for the freshers. You know, we, we struggle to find more than one or 2% of the student population in the local church. That doesn't mean they're all not following Jesus, but connecting to community, we're still really looking to change the stats on that. So please pray for students to find home. 
and um and do pray for us in favor in europe because we 100 percent want to serve the churches there but it, it is hard ground but it's it's not too hard for jesus but we're looking for some divine breakthrough in the nations that would help see young people find home so do pray for europe as well thank you uh, and where do people go to find out about fusion oh brilliant yeah check out fusionmovement.org simple as that really that's our website and awesome. obviously we're on all social media platforms but fusionmovement.org will take you to uh, where you want to go Miriam, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. For more details on all of the Millennial Leadership Research, visit millennial-leadership.com. And don't forget to catch up on the Forge Leadership Podcast at forge-leadership-podcast.com.